Welcome back to Questions You Didn't Ask with me, Naisha Frey. Let's get back into the conversation. When and how did you find out Malia had autism? So for me, I have been fortunate to have a, a person who worked in the field who, um, as a speech therapist, um, and worked with many autistic children as a sister. And so right. very early on, I started hearing about things that I never would have thought to look for. So I remember when she said, you know, your baby doesn't babble a enough. And I was like, babble enough? There's an amount to babbling? <laughs> I thought it was like milestones were like little check marks. Like, yeah, yeah, she got that. Okay, next thing, you know. Um, and what was also really fortunate about that is that she was able to tell me the very specific things that I needed to say to advocate for, for us. Mm -hmm. And so she told me, well, let's first look at hearing, go to your pediatrician and ask for this specific hearing test and let's, let's rule that out, you know? And so I had sort of this way to have my hand held through these engagements um, mm -hmm. where everything was so new and I was so not clear on even what I should be asking about or thinking about. And so having that, I would say really um, was a game changer for me. And mm -hmm. I always wished for us to have the same um, for every child, like every child to have this, this health advocate walking through the entirety of um, the different ways that we navigate the health system and the education system. Um, because, you know, for us, especially uh, as Black parents, the types of things that we manage really can be so challenging from, you know, insurance not covering the types of things we need to not being able to find the types of specialists we need. And so, you know, we find that there's this push to have parents have that support, you know, up until age three, but uh, most of the programs that exist like that, after age three, they turn you over to the school system, assuming that that system has capacity to support parents. And I'm, I'm not sure that, um, from my experience and for all of the things that we need, um, we have found that, um, is not enough support, right? That I, I really feel like so much could change if we really changed how these systems operated. And mm -hmm. that, um, you know, if, if parents had that support throughout to help them not just navigate these systems, but to, to have that feedback into the system about how the ways that they can really be responsive to our children um, with, with disabilities. Yeah. I mean, Maya, what you're saying is so important, especially for our audience. You know, as, um, as a consultant, I, I, I say I create community-informed solutions to health equity problems, right? And a lot of that has to do with, you know, being a researcher, 
Um, but also it has to do with valuing the lived experience of people most affected by whatever health issue, health equity problem that we're facing, right? And having some connection um, to the community so that it informs the solutions that either I create or I recommend or what have you. And what you're doing is you're doing just that. <laughs> you are giving direct feedback to our audience about what it is that we can do system-wide um, and with the current programs and systems that we have in place to make them better, right? Um, one of the things that you and I experienced uh, was that we were neighbors, uh, but our neighboring counties had totally different opportunities, right? And access to resources. So where you were challenged in one space, I was privileged just by my zip code, right? Just by my county that I lived in. Um, and we oftentimes, you know, um, I felt terrible because I knew that if you had lived in my county, your daughter would have had a different set of resources. But that is not how we generally plan our lives and real estate being what it is. You can't just like up and move. Um, and so we, there are these unintended, or maybe they are intended, I'm not sure, barriers in terms of what services are available, what type of support is available. But another thing that you spoke on that was really interesting as it relates to our intro and the research that I found was like how important family, right? The different fam people in our family are um, to how we are able to um, notice when something is different right, that needs to be addressed. Um, having folks with uh, the expertise in our family or access that can help walk us through this and provide the support that we need. Otherwise, much like that research, I'm sure both of us would have gone a little nutty. Not sure that we didn't, speaking for myself, but um, <laughs> the family support uh, helped it from going too far in one direction or the other. So for me, I'll share that I found out about Molly um, having Down syndrome when I was pregnant with her. I realized that at the age of 34, um, that I wanted to know everything that I could about the health of my baby, about my own health, um, and that I went ahead and got all of the pre-screening um, that was available to me uh, at the time that I had access. Because as you, as your pregnancy progresses, you have um, windows for different screenings. And so I received a screening while I was pregnant. And at the end of my first trimester, at the very beginning of my second trimester, that indicated that uh, Molly had some markers that were highly likely, highly associated with Down syndrome. Receiving that information over the phone and the way that I received it was very concerning. Um, the person that gave the the gave me the information about the the screening test, um, not knowing that I had a very extensive <laughs> background in public health, um, when I asked them specific questions about the specificity of the screening and what it meant um, and what it didn't mean. Uh, they had some real trouble answering my questions. Um, one, because I don't think that they were prepared for me to ask those questions. And two, because maybe they didn't have the answers readily available to them. 
Um, so I think that it's really important that when those types of results are shared with parents, um, that the person delivering those results are very clear about what that test is, what it is not, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and um, and what the appropriate next steps are, and also be available to provide social emotional support, uh, mental health support. Um, women are going through, I know I was going through, you know, when you're pregnant, your body's going through a lot of changes. Um, so uh, I had to seek out that support from my family and friends, and I'm thankful that I received it. Um, I later found out through a friend who was also um, around the same age and pregnant at the same time that in, I was deathly afraid of the amniocentesis, um, did not want it. And she, being European, knew about a blood test that was available. Um, this was a test that you had to ask for. Um, it was not one that was um, generally offered uh, to women. Um, I find that to be an unfortunate barrier because it was just as effective as the amniocentesis with none of the, the risks. Uh, it was just a simple blood test. And this blood test allowed us to more firmly diagnose um, her as having Down syndrome. And then also with the ultrasound at, uh, what is it, 20 weeks, I believe it is, when you find out the gender, um, and they were able to see her heart. Um, and one thing that happens oftentimes with children with Down syndrome is that they are born with congenital heart defects. And she had a very typical um, genital heart defect um, it was serious. Um, it did require um, open heart surgery when she was four months old, which I still have to pause to say that. Um, and all of that information was very difficult to take in all at once. Um, I went from having not just a obstetrician um, visits, but I also had a pediatric uh, cardiologist that I had to visit throughout um, from that point on throughout my pregnancy and following the birth of Molly. She still sees that same cardiologist. He is amazing. Um, and fortunately, her heart has healed to the point that, you know, you would never know by, you know, looking at it from a medical perspective that she ever had surgery. So God is good. Um, and there are so many other children who go through similar surgeries and are blessed with similar outcomes. Um, so I just feel like the way <laughs> that we find out um, about our child's disability, um, different people choose different things. You know, some people don't want to know until the very end. I was able to start to research and prepare my mind for what it would be like for me to be a parent of a child with a disability and even prepare her grandparents, prepare my siblings, my, um, you know, brothers and sisters-in-law, um, sharing information with them so that uh, we would all be ready to receive her wholeheartedly because I understood that Down syndrome was something that many of us did not have experience with and that some of us, including myself, were afraid of. Um, and that it was really important for me to demystify um, this diagnosis, this community, these children and adults, um, and to learn more about them. So for me, the way that I choose to deal with this type of stress and this type of news 
um, was to lean in because I knew I wanted to be a mother. I knew that I wanted to have a little girl and I was blessed. And outside of her, um, you know, heart condition, she was healthy and I was healthy and I was in great care. So that's just a little bit about how I found out about my daughter um, having Down syndrome. So now I'm going to turn it over to, well, let me ask you, Maya, is any of that relatable to you in terms of your experience with your pregnancy with Malia? And um, people might be curious about, is there a difference in the experience of being pregnant with a child with a disability than not? And granted, both of us only have our one child, so we don't even have anything to compare it to. But if you could just share what your experience was. Sure. Uh, uh, for me, so um, being pregnant, um, I didn't have um, concerns throughout my pregnancy. Um, you know, and that first year, um, the the first concern, like I talked about, came up when my sister uh, started talking about babbling, and then later during that first year, she started covering her ears a lot, and you know, there would just be these these little things that you know we would wonder about. Um, and, you know, through my sister sort of nudging me to pediatrician to ask questions, um, then, uh, our pediatrician referred us to, um, a person who talked about autism and, you know, I remember that first conversation, um, really being upset with the person who talked about it mainly because I remember her like whispering in the background with her co-evaluator and just doing things that really, for me, felt uncomfortable. Um, mm. You know, I think that, so I think it, it's two pieces, right? So one that, you know, I, I think that they didn't necessarily handle the moment with the level of sensitivity that it warranted. And also I think that my not having that opportunity to really look and research and understand in, in different ways, um, you know, what they were, what people were talking about when they said autism really sort of took me to a, a place of confusion and fear um, about that, what that meant um, because I, I didn't really have an understanding at the time. And um, so I remember um, you know, this point where for a little bit, we didn't tell her grandfather, we weren't sure how he was going to react. And then when we told him, he said, you'll never know what gifts this will open up for her. And I still, to this day, as I see her blossoming and, you know, all her abilities to just do math in her head or create these beautiful pictures, I'm always returning to those words, right? You never know what gifts this will open up for her. And so in my process, you know, I found that uh, I do think that sort of um, the communities that, you know, do that amazing work of, of really helping to support us with assessment, that it could be stronger if they also really had that training around you know, like you were saying, like supporting the person that you're talking to, you know, what, what are they going to need in that moment um, other than just information, right? Um, and so 
that's a little bit about what the journey was like, how it was similar and, and you know, a little how it was different also. So Maya, um, you already started to address this, but, and I think I even spoke on it a little bit too, but how would you describe your process of coming to terms with your child having a disability? Yes. So like I said, I had that beautiful, amazing starting place of her grandfather saying, you never know what gifts this will open up for her. And then the other amazing thing that I found was that there were other Black women who were parenting children with disabilities who just came out of the woodworks to support me. Mm. I, I had people call me who I actually had never met. So be a friend's sister, right? Or a friend of a friend. And they would ask me, you know, I have this friend, she wants to talk to you. Oh no, I don't need anybody to talk to, I'm fine. Well, she wants to talk to you, can I give her your number? Sure. And that person would call and say all of the things that I had no idea that I needed to hear. They were further along in the journey. And so they they had accumulated all this wisdom already. Mm. And, you know, even not ever having met me before, um, I had one, um, the sister of a friend of mine who we had a lot of struggles with our first placement experience, right? So you mentioned how we lived in different counties. Um, yeah. That- different levels of resources. And so also in my community, I knew two other families who also had autistic children and were going through the placement experience. And so- Now I'm gonna pause you for a second for our audience, because you know I know. But what do you mean when you say placement? Sure, so for many people, they drop their child off for the first day of pre-K or the first day of kindergarten in the school that's in their community. For those of us who are parenting children with disabilities, many times that's not true for us. So there's a process where they will do all these tests and assessments on your child. Um, My child didn't participate in any of them. She was not interested in any of their activities. Um, And so they initially put her in a school probably one of the schools with the least resources in our county. Um, They had a playground that was close to a busy street that didn't have a fence all the way around it. Just a number of just things that any parent would look at and be like, not for a three-year-old, you know? Um, And so, and besides sort of the the classroom not being a good fit for a number of challenges. And so, you know, um, I advocated for her. And and this is where I talk about, you know, just the amazing ways that other, for me, it was Black women showed up for me. There was a mother who'd been through a similar process, didn't know me. She was the sister of a friend of mine who called me, she's getting dressed herself and her children, you can hear in the background, you're gonna miss the bus, you gotta get your shoes. And she's talking me through exactly what I'm supposed to say in order to advocate for my child. Mm. And I just thought that that was the most phenomenal, amazing thing that anybody had done for me, you know? 
Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm seeing the other people in our neighborhood who are getting assigned to the school that's right there in the community, right? And mm-hmm. ultimately, we got assigned to a school that was a 30 minute drive away, and I commute an hour in the opposite direction, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's these these obstacles that we're up against, but that I found all of these amazing women who didn't even know me, who just saw what my struggle was, heard about it from, you know, a person that they knew and they just would call and and share with me the resources and and the things that that people had told them to help them with their challenges. And so it was also this time of just being overcome by like the love and generosity of people in the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um that I think really helps me um, to to open my eyes to to possibilities and not just to to stay stuck in um, the struggle. Um, the other thing I did was I went to a counselor. You know, oh, um, yes, yes. And the interesting thing about it, you know, me um, being in the field of psychology myself, um, mm-hmm. I knew him. I know most of the black psychologists in the area. And so I talked to him. I was like, is it going to be a problem if I see you at meetings? And he's like, I'm good if you're good. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, I just really talked to him about um, all the things that I needed to work on within my own self. And um, the thing that he said that was so amazing and transformative for me, he said, if you want to learn about joy, just do what she does. Mm. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess I will start blowing dandelions and smelling all of the flowers. And yes. it turns out there is a lot of joy in that. Yes. So, you know, I think my process was just really about um, accepting and receiving the amount of love that was there for me. Mm. And that love comes from so many different unexpected places, right? Exactly. Um, and that there's love that's out there that we don't have to seek. It will find us, right? Um, I think for me, how would you describe your process of coming to terms with your child having a disability? Um. I think I I know that I have and still go through different challenges and times where I have to check myself, right? Um, where I have to check my ableism, mm-hmm. um, where I have to check and interrogate my expectations. Whose expectations are those? Are those your expectations? Is that for her or is that for you? Um there have been times where I have especially had to stop myself from comparing my child to Mm. other children Mm. Um, and using, you know, that as some sort of litmus test of her progress, her worthiness, her whatever, right. Her humanness, her, um, you know, if, if she's not doing this like they're doing it, then what does that mean? You know, 
Um, and I think that that's a fair question, right? Uh, what does that mean? Mm. And what doesn't it mean, right? Mm. Um, and so for me, I really had to also interrogate um, and, and catch myself um, when I felt myself uh, with the anxiety, with mm -hmm. guilt, with judgment, with fear, when those feelings came up, they were uncomfortable. And for those that know me very well, when I have feelings that create discomfort, I have to find something to do with them. Something, I try my best to make sure that it's something healthy, right? And so one thing that I do is I say, well, where is that coming from? And is it true? Um, I, I know that, you know, having friends like you, Maya, um, and we talked about the importance of social support. We know that peer support is really important. Um, one of the things that, you know, I noticed was that some of the support that I was getting from different people wasn't just about how they cared about me. It was their genuine care for my child. You know, genuine care for wanting the best for her and children like her. Um, that is my dog who wants to go out. Just like I said, life steps in. Um, and, uh, and what I did focus on was finding spaces where she could be her best self, right? Where she wasn't, sometimes it was really important. And I think um, inclusion is something that we'll talk about as this conversation goes on, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, but I found that there was the love of other children for her helped me to, again, um, renew my joy, renew my hope, um, and to see her in a different light. That these children who were what, you know, we generally call typical, we generally call normal, they did not see what was wrong with her. They did not satisfy my fear that she would be bullied, um, that because she was black, because she was a girl, that she would be looked at as other. They saw her otherness and saw it was beautiful, that they saw that it was fun, that they saw that they wanted to play with her. And not every child, but let's be honest, do any of us as parents want every child to like our child? No. Um, we want them to have good quality friends um, who will stick with them, right? And so once I saw that for her, she was able to enjoy the receiving love and not just giving love, right? Because I was concerned that her loving nature would be one that would be easily taken advantage of, right? Or that people would see it as something to mock, right? And so... What I see instead was that other children in particular really, truly embrace that. Um, the other thing that helped me, because I went into, especially her kindergarten experience, really wanting her to be in an inclusive environment. And when I recognized that there was a, a huge disparity between what she was able to do and what other children her age were expected to do I was overwhelmed for her, for myself. 
I realized I did not want her to be, and this is just me and my experience. I did not want her to be in an ex, in, a, in a learning environment where she was constantly overwhelmed. And one of the reasons why that was important to me was because I have been in learning environments where I was constantly overwhelmed. Despite having two graduate degrees from very high level institutions, despite graduating college magna cum laude, I have been in learning experiences where I was overwhelmed and it is not good for anybody. I recognize that her youth, um, she needed to enjoy learning for as long as possible, right? And enjoy school for as long as possible. And once I got past some of my um, assumptions about special education, once I got past and was able to see and appreciate the learning environment in an inclusive classroom, um, the teacher ratios, the fact that we were privileged to be in a school that had highly trained and experienced, loving, compassionate, but firm educators in her classroom um, who were completely supported by the whole school. I saw that classroom as an advantage and not a disadvantage. Um, I was privileged or am privileged with a school that the IEP, proce IEP process is actually collaborative. Um, and when we bump heads, it is not an impasse. It is a conversation. Um, I am one that, you know, the final say so is me, um, but I'm able to listen to what these educators who I respect as experts have to say about what they can offer, what they can do, um, how they can accommodate, um, and where the line is drawn of what they can't do. And I think accepting limitations in all of us as individuals and in the systems that serve us, our systems can't be every, are not, I won't say they can't be, they are not everything to us all the time everything that we need them to be. So we have to have real conversations about where those limitations are um, and then figure out where can we pick up from there. Um, I also um, came to grips, started to come to grips with um, her disability um, when I started, much like you, Malik, Maya, calling your daughter's name, um, saw other, other um, parents um, white, black, and of other races navigating this space successfully, seeing other children who were older than her, who were doing well, who were compassionate, who were eloquent in their own way, who were um, well cared for and whose parents cared about the the well-being of my family and of my daughter. And that was one thing that I think is a privilege of the disability community is that it does, because it affects so many people and it is so such an invisible um, space, those people who are in it are almost like in a club, right? And it's, it's, it's very much akin to being Black in a sense, in a sense. And what I mean by that is, is if you're Black, and you're in a white space and you see another black person, you have, you soften towards that black person. 
you acknowledge that Black person. You tend to have a lot more compassion for that Black person. At least that is how I tend to operate. And what I saw in the disability community was similar. When I would take her to the grocery store and I'm just going in to get some, you know, some things to pick up and a mother stops me and says, does your daughter, do you mind me asking if your daughter has Down syndrome? And I would say, well, yes, she does. No problem. Well, my son does too. And then you start this conversation and you get to meet this person. The next thing you know, they're inviting you to take a walk with them on the trail. And so that their son or their daughter can meet your daughter and that you, and now you have this connection. Um, and so that has been one of the um, privileges of having a child with a disability, parenting a child with a disability, is that oftentimes even interacting with other white people, um, the, the racism is not, it's something that I'm always looking out for, <laughs> but it has not been confirmed in a lot of those spaces. It seems to diminish um, that that the focus becomes we have children who are alike and we have something to share that can help the other, right? And so I see that going on. I am a part of um, communities that are specific to Black children with disabilities, and that is also a very powerful space. Um, I have to mention uh, the North Carolina Black Disabilities Network that recently, just this past weekend, um, this April, I should say, April 2020, had their inaugural conference of the North Carolina Black Disabilities Network Conference, looking at the intersections between disability um, and uh, Black identity. And it was a powerful, powerful um, weekend of discussion with the leaders. And I made sure to bring my daughter with me so that she could see that there were people like her, Black people, who are working hard as professionals in their profession to make the world a better place for her, but also so that she can start to hear what is happening and what is the language, what is the culture around being engaged and active in justice, much like her mother, much like her grandmother, much like her great-grandmother, who she has the privilege of seeing and meeting and growing up with, that we all have this um, streak of activism, the streak of being healthcare providers, of being educators, um, and working for justice. And so this was one of my uh, deposits into her um, for that purpose. So it was both for me and her. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Questions You Didn't Ask, with me, Naisha Frey. Tune in next week as our conversation continues.